0: This is progress. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, I didn't even ask, but everyone can hear me, right? Obviously, like, this microphone's doing its job. Yeah, man. Sounds great.
0: Wrestling
1: should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun. G'day, scholars. Welcome back to the Wrestling Should Be Fun podcast. It's what the nerds are watching. I'm this week's host, Dom Philp. On the mic, not too hard, not too soft, but just right. We're coming to you free of charge just about every single week on Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, where we get your podcasts from. Best way for you to support is to rate, review, subscribe. The Holy Tricolon, or maybe even more important than that, why don't you get around us on the social media? Wrestling should be fun all over that social media. Wsbfun on Twitter slash X. Why don't you add this to your X stream? Uh, extreme at wrestling should be fun all one word pretty much everywhere else. That's on Instagram and TikTok. And why don't you, as always, give your nan a ring or write a letter to your mum or act this out as a play for your local community on a balcony somewhere. That would be wonderful. If you get around us, we'll get around you. I'm told it really, really helps. I am absolutely hang over out me bloody fat Australian ass because I've had one of the all-time great weekends and I cannot wait to chat all things AW, all in Wembley Stadium and everything else that went along for the weekend with my two very special guests. They're not just very special guests, but they're two of my best mates. Uh, I want to welcome, as always, Ross the Boss, Casey. Roscoe, how are you?
0: So tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I genuinely think that was like my most rusty intro ever. Yeah, I think I'm a bit dusty today, that's for sure. But that's okay. Hey, we got another very special guest. We have got the Sultan Shafi. Sultan, how are you, mate?
2: Hello. I mean, I don't even drink and I'm burnt out from the weekend. What a weekend.
1: (laughs) Mate, It just like... Just the best ever. Like, if you're a regular listener to our podcast here, Dear Listener, you know we normally uh, have a few segments and things like that, a little bit of silliness. Today we're going to run with two major segments. We're going to do the normal what the nerds are watching, the plan in that is we're going to talk a little bit about things outside of the Wembley show, outside of All In, things that we experienced over the weekend, uh, maybe some of the indie shows we went to. I went to five. And then we're going to do our Wrestling Should Be Fun Roundtable, where we're going to talk a lot about All In Itself and AEW visiting the UK and how special that was. So if that sounds like it's up your street, hang around with us for the next hour or so. Let's do it. This is What the Nerds Are Watching.
0: I've been watching you la
1: la 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 long Indie shows over the weekend I've got a few questions for us to ask but Really, let's uh, maybe check in with the listeners about what we actually got to over the weekend. I did Riot Cabaret on Friday night. I did Progress and Defy on Saturday. I ducked out of Progress just a couple of minutes before the end. I stayed almost to the end to get over for the last two matches of Rev Pro and then uh, some AEW stuff on Sunday. I was not feeling up to going to the Hooked on Wrestling Tag Tournament yesterday, although I was meant to. Uh, Ross, tell us about your weekend outside of uh, Sunday's activities.
0: Uh, So, wrestling should be music. I ended up going to a festival on the Friday night, which was probably a mistake. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Saw the strokes, or yeah, yes, or be your own pet, so... 17-year-old me was having an absolutely lovely time and then I got up at 9am to go to Progress. Uh, We saw Defy, we saw Progress. I had a very different time to what I usually have. I won't go too much into it but I still had a fabulous time and an eye-opening time and it felt really special to be doing what I was doing for Progress Wrestling and then you guys all went to rev pro which left me isan and josh to go to the black heart like always found out that black heart do food now so that's exciting um vegan but you know still great had a lovely um buffalo wing or two couldn't finish them all they were really really hot (laughs) (laughs) and then went to aew with my family my two nephews and my brother so Quite a different wrestling should be fun experience for me personally, but one that I very much enjoyed and and looking forward to talking to you all about it.
1: Excellent. Shafi, really quickly, uh, non-stadium shows. What did you get up to across the weekend, mate?
2: So on the Saturday, I went to the Box Park AEW meet and greet, which was great. Um, I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more later. Went over and did the whole of RevPro, the Copper Box, Uh, Again, fantastic. And then moved on to, of course, AEW on Sunday.
1: Amazing. So three really good mates who had some overlapping experiences across the weekend, but also some different ones. So hopefully we can cover the whole gamut of what was going on here and what the nerds are watching. So I think probably the best way for us to do it Uh, fellas is just really like we can open the floor just to talk about anything that really stood out for us from a wrestling perspective outside of the stadium. Um, And I don't mean all those people that were trying to get themselves over after the show that I saw after Wembley doing fucking terrible matches on the street. But I I guess maybe outside of all in, like was there a best match that stood out for us? I'm going to get the ball rolling for us because The choice was really easy for me, actually, Um, and I think I've got a different one to everybody else. My favourite non-AEW match of the weekend was at Riot Cabaret. Just I want you in your mind to think a little bit back to, if you did see it, Will Ospreay versus Ricochet in Japan um, all those years ago, you know, five years ago, and that style of what felt like quite, dare I say, choreographed athletic competition, something out of the circus. And I... Reckon that at Riot Cabaret on Friday night there was something that was up to that standard, if not even more impressive, between Leon Slater and Robbie X. Just to be there live watching that type of match that I can't remember seeing something like that in person before. It was just absolutely unbelievable. So for me, outside of AEW, my favourite match of the weekend, just because it was so different and stood out completely athletic incredible stuff with all the flips all the flies all the flops Leon Slater Robbie X and I lent over to my friend Brandon um, who's over from Cleveland to just you know not just for this weekend but he's traveling around the world and he called in I said mate like you don't know either of these guys do you and he said no I don't know him I said Mate, keep an eye out because this is going to be your, you know, PWG bowler final in a year's time, I think. Honestly, just these two, they've got to catch fire in American promotions very soon. Um, Not that they need to. There's an avenue for fame and success in Britrest. But I know that Leon, he's just done his first tour of GCW. Robbie X can't be far away. These two guys, they're they're going to the top. Best match, uh, Ross, uh, something completely different, I'm sure.
0: I'm going to be a bit cheeky and say two. At Defy, the main event I thought was absolutely spectacular. Seeing Kenta in the electric ballroom was special. He has an aura about him. The music that he comes out to now, the dreaded drumbeat music is fantastic and fits his style. It started off really slow. They were kind of playing to the pandering crowd where it was real mixed, where there was a big New Japan, Kenta Pro Plus crowd. And then the kind of Brit rest. Haskins is in his um, spiritual home of the ballroom. And it was a real great atmosphere. It felt like a big time match. And the slow build really, really helped. And it felt like it went maybe like 25 minutes or something. And I just absolutely loved it. And we got to see a GTS in the ballroom. Um, Haskins was on fire. I felt like he knew how big a match it was. And he brought his... He didn't actually bring his literal wrestling boots, but he brought his metaphorical wrestling boots. (laughs) Ross, I'd like to ask you what you're talking about before you get to your second best match of the weekend. Like,
1: how did you feel about the rebrand of uh, Mark Haskins into just skins? Now, if you weren't at Progress on Saturday, dear listener, uh, a little bit of a name change with how he was introduced. Just as skins, no boots. He was barefoot with kick pads. He had the UFC style shorts on and really worked as if it was like a, like an MMA sort of fight. Do you think that that, does that feel like a more permanent rebrand of Mark Haskins, Ross? And how do you feel about it?
0: Yeah, I feel like Mark Haskins, as he was in progress wrestling when we all fell in love with him, was a kind of short, sharp, dynamic wrestler that wrestled in bursts. And this rebrand kind of goes with his new style that we saw in that match against Kenta. And I feel like a rebrand for any wrestler is important. Any wrestler that just stays as they were five, six years ago, they're going to become fairly bland because we've seen it all before. So any kind of rebrand, by and large, I think is a good thing. And this one felt great. And the fact that he's got Vicky with him, I think she had a rebrand as well. Is she Vic Haskins rather than Vicky Haskins? Um, I I think. Yeah. So yeah, I felt that the package that they offered the crowd was fantastic and it felt big time and it felt like um, something that hopefully they can take over to the States like they did with Ring of Honor, which was unfortunately capped with COVID where he had to come home. But it's a pleasure to have him back and this new Skins version i absolutely loved and the match against kenta provided plenty of entertainment for me personally and i'm glad that i managed to see that match in full because that wasn't the case for every match on those cards and it felt like a real pleasure
1: yeah couldn't agree more it really was great
0: you said you've got uh,
1: another one for us
0: yeah just just real quick so we're wrestling should be fun skins versus kenta was serious pro wrestling progress offered us a six-man tag between miller and Tate. And I actually felt that that match was an absolute hoot. Six wrestlers that brought so much to the table, entertaining. Anthony Ogogo, as the special guest ref, offered plenty of entertainment as well. Casey Navarro in that match really impressed me. He also impressed me in the match against Nick Wayne, previously in Defy. Came across really, really well. Looking forward to seeing maybe more of him in the future. And Tate Mayfairs and Simon Miller. I'm, I know that face has been on social media and said that he doesn't understand why he's being put in the ring against Simon Miller, that he's not a wrestler, he's a YouTuber. And I kind of sympathize with him a little bit. And I felt that Simon Miller was better used as the guest host. But I must admit that he's winning me over. He is winning me over. That spear that he can hit, fantastic. He gets great reactions. And yes, he might not be to the standard of what a pro wrestler that Tate Mayfair's wants to be facing but he's improving and in these tag matches in particular it highlights his positives and negates his negatives I think it was fantastic booking and the post-match stuff with Tate and Miller felt real and I loved it and I think that whilst it might not be what Tate wants to be doing exactly at this moment in progress wrestling it's right for him right now.
1: It definitely did feel real the I would say that Tate drew upon some of that potential real frustration about the spot um, and let it out after the match. Like he really did a number on a couple of chairs in the front row and things of that nature. It was uh, it was actually a bit scary, I think, for, not for me. I was probably 20 metres away, but like for some people in the front row, I could see it was like a bit of Bruiser Brody style uh, fear. Shaf, he's probably uh, going to laugh at me for comparing Tate Mayfair to Bruiser Brody. But <laughs> I want to hear, Shaf, about your favourite matches of the weekend. I
2: mean, to be honest, I wasn't really thinking about the Brody comparison. I was thinking more that, you know, Simon Miller is being protected in six-man tags. He's obviously got a lot of charisma. He's coming in and hitting an impressive spear. So I kind of got the impression that Ross is calling him a future Roman Reigns there.
0: (laughs) I acknowledge my YouTube chief. (laughs) <laughs> I had a
1: moment just while before we get to chef best best I was just trying to be funny but it was after a few beers and I I accidentally I think I might have offended a guy who was the first time at progress he was like oh Simon Miller's the reason that I fell in love with wrestling and I turned around I was like what like the ring announcer from progress like I just pretended <laughs> I <didn't> know. <laughs> what you, you really into ring announcers well look no further than Dom Philp on the mic <laughs> anyway. yeah, no, I, he he wasn't in on the joke anyway. Sorry, chef. Best match of the weekend. So
2: on a card that had Osprey versus Shingo Takagi, which was obviously amazing. They've got such a brilliant uh, legacy of matches, and also had Zack Sabre Jr. versus Ricky Knight Jr., which again told a brilliant story of of Ricky Knight Jr. out wrestling ZSJ at multiple points and playing the real cocky prick character. The best match. I saw of the weekend outside of AEW, but one of the best matches of the weekend in general was Luke Jacobs versus Tomohiro Ishii. Uh, What a match. Like, I would go out of your way to watch that. For the uninitiated, Luke Jacobs is almost like a... I would describe him as a young Walter or a young Gunther, but from Manchester. (laughs) Hard hitting, you know what you're getting with Ishii. The guy could have a brilliant match with anyone, but bringing that sort of style against someone like Jacobs, it was so 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 good that half I think halfway through the match, and certainly at the end of the match, there were three or three to four thousand people there, and they got a standing ovation from every single person there. Unbelievable! It was so good, legitimate at least four and a half star. You know, big men slapping meat, strong style match. So good.
1: Yeah. Unfortunately for me, I didn't see it because it was up against QT Marshall versus Chuck Mambo for the AAA, uh, whatever it's called, Latin America title. So, you know, for me, it, it was a tough choice, but I stuck with Mambo. But I,
2: similar, similar type of matchup, obviously. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. But, um, well, and the fact that I'm picking Jacobs over the Osprey match, which ended with an incredibly heartfelt promo from Will yeah. involved the running from Jericho, which like was a mind-blowing moment, just shows how good it was.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I want to transition there, if I may, and maybe talk about surprises of the weekend. And for me, definitely, uh, my favorite surprise of the weekend was the Jericho running at RevPro. I just, I really felt like it was a special moment for me. And and yet, I, I, we talk about it, we joke about it, whatever. Wrestling should be fun. Some of us like to have a drink when we watch the show. Some of us don't. I'm one of the guys that likes to have a drink. Yeah, sure, maybe the eyes were a bit blurry on my at the end of my third show of the day, but they weren't just blurry because of the beer. I think there might have been a tear or two when Jericho did the run-in. I, I really had a completely emotional response to seeing, you know, my homegrown guy and Will Osprey cutting this heartfelt promo when a lot of people have said he can't cut promos. And he, he's proven those people wrong probably five times this week. He's cutting this heartfelt promo, and here comes, you know, the guy that some people think is the greatest wrestler of all time under the hood, hits maybe the best code breaker he's hit in the last decade, and um, we're off to the races. And all of a sudden, we're in this smaller venue uh, with Jericho, and it just somehow it just felt like, hey, we are at AEW All-In Weekend. This is not just one stadium show. This is that festival of wrestling that we're going to talk a bit more about later on this is special and that surprise for me even though that was already my fourth show of the weekend that was the moment when I was like fuck we're in this guys you know this is it and yeah we're all in this pardon the pun so for me that was my uh, big surprise of the weekend Ross was there something that stood out to you I know you weren't at RevPro
0: yeah so in terms of surprise I just think kind of from a personal level just the surprise of how accommodating wrestlers are because obviously I was in a slightly different situation this time around than being just a fan in yeah. Scroobius Pip style. <laughs> Russ, I think, I think it's okay. Like we sort of mentioned a few times here. I think,
1: I think it's okay here on our pod, just to say that like you were involved in more of an employment fashion on Saturday. That's okay to say, just so people know that, you know, you're
0: not, trying to
1: be coy or anything. You were doing some work there on Saturday. Yeah, so it was was my first
0: time working an actual show for Progress Wrestling, having started doing some social media and some communication stuff for them, uh, some press releases and things. And it was an absolute pleasure just to feel part of the team. Um, Everyone was really accommodating, doing interviews with the likes of Anthony Agogo and QT Marshall and the British wrestling guys such as Charles Crowley and Tate Mayfairs And... Meeting Casey Navarro, who is, of course, the Warrior Wrestling Champion, who beat Will Ospreay to win that title, as he mentioned to me about 4,000 times. (laughs) Um, He was an absolute joy to be around. And just being given the opportunity um, to be involved in something that I'm so passionate and in love with, basically, pro wrestling. And then one of my first tasks in my first job is to chaperone Dave Meltzer. So, yeah, a lot of fun. That was probably the biggest surprise. (laughs) Yeah,
1: and Shafi, what about yourself? Like, I, I hope I haven't stolen your thunder too much with the uh, Jericho stuff, but was there anything that stood out for you from a surprise standpoint or something that was unexpected for you across the weekend?
2: I think probably the biggest surprise for me is that it's taken a wrestling promotion so long to snap up the services of Ross the Boss Casey, A wrestling fan with over 30 years of love for the business, uh, someone who's amazing at what he does in terms of social media and marketing that it's taken this long for someone to realize that they have such a gem amongst their mitts was probably the surprise for me so i'm glad to hear he had a brilliant time yeah i mean obviously the jericho stuff that we've touched on it was a moment that everyone who was there will never ever forget it felt so raw and so real He obviously came out as he said, attacked with the hood, took it off. The whole crowd went crazy. Even though, like, you were fairly obvious, fairly certain it was Jericho until they removed the hood. There's still that element of doubt. Like, would Jericho come to a show like this? But he did. Obviously, he I believe he was at PWG in the last 12 months as well. He took it off. The whole place went crazy. Because it was such a surprise. But within two seconds, you know, it quickly changed the chance of fuck you, Jericho. And you know, he was working the crowd like an absolute pro and then escaped through the crowd right past me, straight out the entrance, you know? So it had that, it didn't come across like a pro wrestling angle. It came across almost legitimate. It was just so well done. And as I say, something that no one who was there will ever forget.
1: Yeah, 100%. I uh, loved it. You summed it up perfectly and painted that picture. Love it, Chat. That's that's why you're here, mate.
2: Probably the only other thing that surprised me as much was Shibata was on this show, and it was the first uh, rev pro show i've been since Shavetta faced riddle at york call and obviously in that time he's had a a life-threatening injury he's managed to slowly work his way back and i was just surprised by how emotional i felt just seeing him like because you know there was a very real possibility he wasn't going to be around anymore much less wrestle so to see him back at RevPro pro doing what he does best was was just like the most amazing feeling
1: yeah there was. I don't know about you guys, but I had quite a few of those uh, moments where, uh, to put it one way, felt a bit emotional. To put it another way, cried my fucking eyes out. Uh, but anyway, I'm sure we're going to get to those when we're uh, in the stadium. I wanted to ask fellas just while we're still talking about the non-stadium stuff, like maybe the last one we could mention is uh, like wrestling should be fun moments. Now, what I mean by that is it could either be you know moments with wrestling should be fun as a group or maybe just fun wrestling moments across the weekend for this one I've got quite a few I've got a few things that I just wanted to point out really this is my way of making sure that I mention all of my highlights so I might let you guys go first just so I don't step on all of those things like uh Ross was there anything else that you wanted to call out whether it be um with wrestling should be fun members or fun moments for you outside of the stadium
0: Uh, Yeah, just um, obviously it's a mad time for me at the moment with stuff going on with progress wrestling for myself, but also I'm moving to Qatar in about five days. So I know that there's this looming trip for six months at least where I'm not going to be with you lads. So it was kind of a, a touching kind of weekend for me where it was the biggest weekend in British wrestling in God knows how many years. And I knew it was going to be the last one for a while. And because of how my viewing was over the weekend, as I mentioned previously, I couldn't spend all of it with you guys. But there were some just great moments where I was just trying to squeeze my last few drops of Wrestling Should Be Fun uh, memories with my best mates watching the Graps. So there was a few times where, you know, we managed to get the Nick Wayne with the white chain chant going, which always makes me smile. I could hear from the balcony at one point when I was on the balcony, Brum screaming away at, at, at different wrestlers, <laughs> which just made me smile. Um, I, think, I think at one point, he, one of them I remember was something about the
1: cost of living in Hull has significantly decreased, <laughs> and, I, and then I, like so, I'm trying to, I can't. Which who? Which wrestlers are from Hull? Is it like Alexis Falcon? I don't know. So anyway. Cruise, then, yeah. Yeah, Nathan Cruz that's right Nathan Cruz and then Nathan Cruz turns around and goes why do you live here you dickhead <laughs> Brum does yell and it's like and everyone sort of knows him and the whole crowd like whoa it was like that meme where like you know someone gets told off and everyone just reacted it was brilliant Nathan Cruz fair, fair play to your son
0: <laughs> yeah there was just so many moments and yeah just uh just trying to squeeze my last drops of uh experiencing that on the regular um something that I know Shafi may may touch on his L.O.H. fandom community, whatever you want to call it, where they're not able to maybe go and see these shows as regularly as we do. And maybe there's a point where we take it for granted, where it's almost twice every month that we're able to go to these shows and have these experiences all as a group. And not being able to do it for a bit has made me realise that, you know, you've got to cherish these moments. So, yeah, all of that plus... Being able to see you, Dom, after All In uh, with my nephews and have that moment was lovely as well.
1: Yeah, definitely one of my high points as well. Chef, like wrestling should be fun moments. You know, there's lots, but is there anything that stood out to you that you'd like to just touch on before we move on to AEW All In?
2: I simply cannot overstate how much this weekend meant to me. They alluded to doing an event over here. AW did, uh, I think, end of 2019, start of 2020. I think it was either TK or Cody mentioned it. 100% sure we would have got a show here in 2020 had COVID not happened. So since then, I've been desperately waiting for this to happen. Like I decided, you know, this is what I'm going to do. Like I'm definitely going to go. I've always had WrestleMania on the bucket list. I think as wrestling fans, that's something that we all have on the bucket list. And it's obviously quite expensive and logistically difficult to do from the UK. But I've come to realize that the type of WrestleMania experience I would want to have doesn't really exist anymore. The type of WrestleMania that I would have wanted to go and see probably happened 10 years ago, like WrestleMania 30, Daniel Bryan winning. That is what I enjoy. And as I've gotten older, I've become a bit more picky in the wrestling that I watch now that we have options. So I know that we're not going to go into all in, but that pay-per-view ended with the line, AEW, the home of professional wrestling. And as a fan, that's how I feel. This is not an AW good, WWE bad thing. It's I see them as two very distinct products. And I see AW as professional wrestling and WWE as sports entertainment. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but that's just how I differentiate the way that they present professional wrestling. And I just happen to prefer one over the other. So when it was announced that they were coming to Wembley, I had decided that, to pardon the pun, I was going all in. You know, rather than spending that money on WrestleMania, I was going to spend it on this weekend. And that's pretty much what I did by going to, as I said, the AEW meet and greet, Rev Pro, then, you know, getting good seats at the show itself. For me, wrestling, going to wrestling shows with you guys, I love it. But there's something in me that kind of finds it a bit difficult in that, like, suffer from anxiety, always feel quite self-conscious and like as you say about Brum he's always the loudest guy in the ballroom if it's not yourself. I'm not the type of person who shouts at wrestling shows, I don't chant you'll probably see me clapping because I want to show my appreciation but I don't necessarily feel comfortable chanting or anything like that and the impact that this weekend had on me, I don't know what it is but something just completely shifted where I was able to just shed all of that and fully enjoy every single event. I don't know what it was but At the RevPro show, like I was chanting my head off. At AW, I was going crazy. There's obviously a clip of, you know, when the acclaimed are doing the scissoring, I'm going crazy in the background (laughs) doing it to a guy in the front row. That's so not me. But I was, I don't know how to explain it. I was able to shed all that. That was the impact and the excitement that this weekend had on me. I'm not the type of person that tends to look forward to things. Until things come around, I always have that like nagging thought in my head that something's going to go wrong. So I never really look forward to holidays or anything like that. And th- and that's probably because of, you know, my own trauma. Like if anyone has seen the bear, the Christmas episode in that hit far too close to home, you know, so... To schedule that for this weekend was absolutely amazing. I went to and just be fully immersed in it, just be taken over by the love and the excitement of professional wrestling. I woke up on the Saturday morning and I was buzzing. After the show on Sunday night, I couldn't sleep till four o'clock in the morning because I was just so happy and so excited. I obviously started the weekend by going to the AEW meet and greet. That was a bit of a mixed bag for people, I will say. What I'll say is, for anyone who doesn't know, it was held at Box Park, which is part of the Wembley Complex. I imagine they probably got the venue for free. It's like a big warehouse. Along both sides, there are places to get food, and in the middle, there's sort of a bar area. To be honest, it was way too small for the amount of demand they had. I got there before they even opened, and it still took 90 minutes to get in. The queues to do the meet and greets were were very long. However, I had a great time. So they had official meet and greets with the likes of uh, Adam Cole. Uh, I managed to get a photo with Claudio and Wheeler. But Willie Hobbs was there and he didn't have an official uh, meet and greet or photo. He just stood in the middle of the place and let anyone who wanted a photo go up to him. And he was the nicest guy. Like, I was so excited. I don't, I don't even normally talk to wrestlers, even if it's a wrestler that I love and I see them at the ballroom or somewhere, I won't even talk to them because, you know, of my own sort of self-confidence. But I, I walked straight up to Hobbs and I was like, I fucking love you, man. You're awesome. And he was just, <laughs> yeah, he was just like, appreciate it. And <laughs> that, that guy is huge. We're like the same height, probably the same weight, but it is distributed way differently. Yeah, he's a massive guy. He stood there for hours just letting people take photos with him. Met Claudio and Wheeler, as I said. Me and Claudio, like, I put out my hand to shake his hand, he puts out his fist. I was like, okay, cool. I put out my fist, he puts out his hand. Okay, this, is getting, <laughs> this is getting awkward now. And he's like, you know, what are you doing? And I was just like, I'm just a bit intimidated. You're fucking massive. Um, <laughs> But he was so polite. He was just like, thank you very much. Like him and Wheeler as well, absolute sweethearts, so polite. As Ross said about wrestlers being accommodating, like they were so nice. Went downstairs for the meet and greet. Like they had various things come onto the stage. The acclaim came out at some point to hype the crowd. Then they had uh, Lethal and Satnam Singh come out and they were giving away copies of the AEW game. So they had various copies and like Lethal gave one to Satnam and said, like, throw it into the crowd. And then he goes, just throw it softly. (laughs) <laughs> so Satnam does like a couple of practice windups, and they're like, "Yeah, that's okay. That's that's not going to go very far." When he actually releases it, it flies like a frisbee, rotates through the air. It went half the distance of Box Park. It went about forty meters over everyone's head, and there's a bar in the middle of Box Park. And it just smashed an unsuspecting barman in the head out of nowhere. It's, <laughs> like everything went into slow motion because you could call, you could see it was gonna happen before it happened, but no one could do anything. And as true wrestling fans, you know, it soon broke out into a holy shit, holy shit, <laughs> followed by one more time. Um <laughs> and then Leaf will just go up to Saturn and say, You're not allowed to do that anymore. Um, <laughs> Just, just a brilliant moment uh, before Jarrett came on and did a Q and A. And Jarrett's someone that I've disliked for thirty years. Always found him boring as a kid. Had a poor personal experience with him back in two thousand and six. Never liked the guy. Hated him in TNA. But I reluctantly say this, but I think I might be on the Jeff Jarrett train now. He was wow. just absolutely brilliant. He's been great in AW as as a mid carter and he was so good in the Q and A. He got asked some really stupid questions, but he took it all in good humour. And yeah, he knew how to play the part, when to play a heel and when to be, you know, quite honest and heartfelt when talking about things, you know, like about Owen, for example. But yeah, absolute pro, top, top guy. So yeah, the the impact on the weekend, wrestling should be fun. It just completely changed me as a fan, helped me cast aside, you know, all of the, you know, all the doubts and made me feel a lot less self-conscious and and just really go for it. So I think that was probably... It allowed me to have fun. You know, the intoxication of all that excitement. That's so, beautiful,
1: was, man. That's It really is. It's beautiful. Shout out to that bear Christmas episode, by the way. Fuck, that was stressful. I think it... Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: Um, Fortunately, those days are gone, you know, so we can laugh yeah. about it. But uh, yeah. yeah, great weekend. And as you said about LOH, obviously I've been involved in running a, a figure collector's group called Legion of Hasbro. I think about 40 or 50 people from that group came. And we all met up. It was fantastic. Uh, just a quick, cheap pop, also run an AW All In group on Facebook, which gives people lots of information about booking a show for next year. It was really useful this year. That's called AW All In London 2024 Community Group. So if you've got any thoughts about going to All In next year, you want to know hotels, where you should stay, what you should do, then join up on Facebook there.
1: Where did you do your meetup up for um, the Hasbro So there's a a pub
2: called The Torch, which is about five, ten minutes walk from Wembley.
1: Um, I'm more of an observer
2: guy. (laughs) (laughs) It was full of wrestling fans. Yeah, it was fantastic, as I'm sure most of the pubs were.
1: We went to the parish. Um, around the corner, and several times they had to, like, reconfigure, like, the back, like say, beer garden in quotation marks because it was just a car park, but they, they had to reconfigure it, like, three or four times because it was just so rammed. Like, it's a cool little pub, though. I'd recommend it on, like, any Wembley days if you're a football fan or an NFL fan or whatever concerts. It really was a great place to grab a drink before and after the show. So they were, they were really accommodating in there, great, really, really good workers and good people, yeah. Okay, so that, yeah, well, like, really, I just want to, I read off a couple of things, more sort of specific things. I have a few kind of reflections as well about, you know, like why it meant so much to me the weekend. But I just wanted to sort of mention a few things that just happened, I guess, made us a little bit self-indulgent, but, like, probably maybe number one for me. And I just made a joke about the Wrestling Observer. Like, I don't actually read the Wrestling Observer, but I think everyone knows what it is. And just out of the blue, Dave Meltzer DM'd me. That was just like the fucking weirdest thing in the world because I tagged him in like my Instagram stories that I do on show weekends. That's kind of something that I bring to the Wrestling Should Be Fun group as I do live blogs at shows. And um, I tagged him in something with like a silly joke It was actually about the Leon Slater-Robbie X match and, like, Meltzer, are you watching? And he replied back and was just, like, super nice. He was like, yeah, man, I'm watching. You know, I I really appreciate your support. All I ask is that you share my content and do nice deeds for other people. And I was like, fuck, Dave Meltzer just gave me, like, a really lame philosophical piece of advice, um, which was lovely. Uh, So thanks for that, Uncle Dave. Appreciate the message. On Friday night with Riot Cabaret, I had a couple of cool moments that maybe I'll share just because you guys weren't there, like a long time ago when we went to the, uh, what's it called, the the Dome, and we saw the professional wrestling debut of one guy called OJMO, who's now known by something different, more about him in a second, and another guy called Big T, uh, Big T Justice, and haven't seen Big T for a little while, and he doesn't do too much in the wrestling world these days, but... I uh, managed to bump into him and probably thirty other wrestlers in the pub after Right Cabaret on Friday night, and um, it just was really awesome to see Big T and just have a chat to him. Be like, "Hey man, like I was at your first match, and I remember when you chopped uh, someone and killed them, and Will Osprey fell on the floor laughing uh, about it." And that was probably six years ago, and now. We're here, you know, having a drink at the bar and it's just, you know, that was just a really cool moment to see him. Um, And the other person that I really enjoyed having a chat to at the bar was previous podcast uh, guest number 100, Spike Trevay, the Lord, the most hated man in Europe. And I was having a chat to Spike and I kind of... Had another really kind of surreal moment. Then maybe my wrestling should be fun moment of the weekend was then on Saturday night when Spike Trevay came out after the aforementioned Michael Oku, OJMO, who were also at his first match. All of a sudden, I, I don't know if I'm paying this properly, but it just felt like there's these guys that I was there for their first match and guys that have come on our little podcast here on the corner of the internet and guys that I every now and then like to have a beer with, and all of a sudden they were there in this main event role, whether it was that Progress for Spike Treve, he's the champion there, obviously he's kind of our favourite wrestler. But then over at the other side, at Revolution Pro Wrestling as well, you know, and Treve was there and he got a really good reaction and had this awesome video package. And he was like, you know, do you remember me? And it was just, just this cool moment. I was like, these are these are my people, this, these are my guys. In the same way, Will Ospreay, like, we were there, I was there when he was junk tuck prey at Rev Pro, wearing those white tights with the blue trim. And
2: I was going to say, I think me and Ross saw him even before that at Rev Pro, like when he yeah. was, like, brand spanking new at the box.
1: Yeah. Like, I, I remember that so clearly, and now he was there with Chris Jericho. Like, it's just so mad. Like, I don't know, I just, as a whole, that was kind of my wrestling should be fun moment. It's not about me being like, hey, look, I'm friends with wrestlers. It's about I've supported you and I've watched you grow. And then uh, probably the most self-indulgent thing was there was a very short period of time on Saturday where I don't know how serious it was, but there was talk that I might have been getting the phone call to ask if I could fill in as Defy ring announcer. Anyway, Gene Money ended up doing it and doing an awesome job, much better than I could have. But then we were all kind of joking about it. And then on the way into the stadium on Sunday, who should we bump into but Gene Money? And, uh, of course, Brummett. you know, we'd had a few beers and Brummett, of course, has to say, oh, Gene, Dom wants to fight you. So anyway, then we had to have that little discussion about uh, I don't really want to fight you, Gene, but yeah, you did a great job as a ring announcer. Cheers, mate. Um, And I think his words were, fuck off, Big Dom. No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, just, just
2: to tie in, you've actually done wrestling training with Gene Money and he's had to carry you as well. That's true, isn't it?
1: Yeah, that's 100% true. Like, I, uh, I, you know, one of the only ever wrestling classes I ever went to was Gene Money was there. And for the warm up, he had to fireman carry me two lengths of the basketball court. I wasn't quite as heavy then as I am now, but I was still, you know, I was still probably up around, you know, 140, maybe 150 kilo. And uh, he does not weigh that. So it was an incredible feat of strength. Yeah. Um,
2: Big Dom is not a ironic nickname for anyone who's not sure.
1: Yeah, it's not, it's not Little John. It's, uh, yeah, it is actually Big Dom, yeah. So, yeah, that just that's really, for me, wrestling should be fun moments. It's like all these guys who I feel like I've supported and I've got to watch them grow. But, lad, should we have a chat about the actual AEW show? I, I guess that's maybe why people are here. We should probably uh, get into the roundtable. I'm going to do the intro here. This could be loud. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for our main event of the evening, this week's roundtable, all about the Biggest show in wrestling history, AEW, and I forgot to say, wrestling should be fun. Round Table Have you ever, ever felt like this? How strange things happen. Are you going round twists? Have you
2: ever, ever felt
1: like this? All right, this? fellas. Talking points from Wembley. We've built up. We're kind of getting to the stadium now. Really, I guess we should just do some talking points. I just wanted to get people going. I was really impressed. Something that stood out to me was how great AEW did it booking the match order of the show. I really felt the entire show just flew by, obviously, but it flowed perfectly from start to finish, from the opener with CM Punk and Samoa Joe all the way through to that main event. And even before that, sorry, before Punk and Joe with Adam Cole and MJF winning the tag titles, was there anything that, you know, stood out to you guys about the way in which the show was constructed, I suppose, because I thought it was just chef's kiss.
0: Yeah, there's definitely nothing that I would have done differently. I'm with you in that it was a show that lasted, was it four and a half hours or something? And it didn't feel like that at all. I have to say that the one thing that impressed me the most was, bar a few little production areas where they played some audio where they weren't supposed to play it. It was a stadium show and it was a stadium production. It felt big time and there were some moments where I was like goosebumps watching pro wrestling at Wembley Stadium pull off this feat after feat of production brilliance and yeah, bow down to TK. Yeah, I felt
1: the same as far as like the the way the stadium show ran. It was actually my first ever stadium wrestling experience, without a doubt. I mean, of course, it was the biggest wrestling show I've been to. It was the biggest wrestling show from a human capita standpoint in history so far. But just I've not been to a show with fireworks at the top of an open roof stadium. I've not been to a show where Chris Jericho's rock band play for his own entrance. I just really absolutely thought they nailed that all. And just the way that the show flew by was just indicative of that.
2: Yeah, I would almost say that maybe the card was too stacked. I think that there was obviously a a will to get as many people on the show as possible. I could have, to be honest, done with maybe a bit of relief or a bit of a, a piss break match or segment. Like, don't get me wrong, I don't want a kid rock concert. I don't want Pitbull to perform or any of that nonsense. But um, four and a half hours is a long time to sit down. So I did pop out a couple of times just to catch my breath. And But um, apart from that, like, it was great. I think unless you were there, it's very, very difficult to capture just how big Wembley is. Like, I was fortunate enough to get tickets in the second row. Um, so I could see everything in front of me. And I was like, oh, wow, it's so big. And then I'd look behind me and there was another 40,000 people behind me. It was crazy. I think uh, a few things have been mentioned about the crowd. I think when you have a stadium show, there are always going to be certain trade-offs. Wembley obviously doesn't have a closable roof. So some of the noise does get lost out of the roof, which is unfortunate. Also, I think what you need to appreciate, like I watched Money in the Bank on TV and that was super loud, but this was like having six separate arenas in one building almost. So when Chance did get started, it would take ages for them to reach like the other end of the stadium. So it was almost like having six distinct arenas. And I think from listening to people's experiences, like where I was, the opener, uh, Punk and Joe, I was the only person shouting for Punk, put it that way. Whereas people sat in different sections and they said it was more mixed or more pro-punk. So I think everyone had something of a a unique experience in that
0: regard. I think that's um, from someone that's been to Wembley Stadium football matches. That's not just this show. I feel like Wembley Stadium is just such a huge venue that you do get that weird kind of oh they're saying something over there but i'm not sure what it is and then it travels and then you hear it and then you're like oh i'll join in with that that happened a minute ago
2: (laughs) yeah and what doesn't help with that is they obviously had the video boards which are great but there was like a two second delay on them so i would react to something that happened and then on the other side of the stadium or further back they would react to it maybe two seconds later so you almost got like a double pop or an echo on certain
1: things yeah yeah i don't like I think you both spot on. There is no better way of doing that, though, is there? Like, that's just part of being in a stadium show. I, I thought in a way that was kind of a cool thing. Like, I was at Money in the Bank as well, and it was great to be like, hey, I started that song about just sold my car to Zelina Vega or whatever, but then this was just cooler than that. It wasn't about starting chance. It wasn't about, hey, listen to how funny I am or listen to Brummett's witty one-liner about housing prices in Hull. It was more the mass of people here. It just absolutely insane. And there were just times when, like, something would happen and it was just, like you said, almost a delayed reaction was cool. It was like, oh, 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 and it just echoed all the way up to kind of where I was a little bit higher up um, in the club Wembley seats. Yeah, I just absolutely... Just, I loved being a part of that, like, sea of humanity. Just what we're talking about, like, like the fans and stuff. Like, I I suppose, like, even outside of, like, friends and things that I was with, the crowd was really lovely. I thought, like, I, like, I actually, I've got a couple of new Instagram followers on the day. Things like that. Just, like, random people were just really nice. Like, I don't know. I didn't see any drama. It really felt like just everyone was there to have a good time. It was nothing like you might have got if it was a football match, right? Like, I don't know, did you guys think that? The crowd was just in spirits and everyone was kind of lovely?
2: Yeah, I mean, for me personally, everyone around me was full of love and excitement. There was a guy in front of me who obviously I mentioned, uh, yeah, maybe a bit of unsolicited scissoring may have occurred. Um, (laughs) That was great. Behind me, there was a dad and son. I say dad and son. The son was like 33. So his dad was, you know, getting up there towards 60. And like speaking to them, they had both traveled over from Minnesota uh, in the States and they'd gone to the Ref Pro show the night before. Like they were great. Like everyone was just in fantastic spirits. Like there was no, there were no negatives at all for me in terms of crowd. I thought they were great.
0: Yeah, for me, yeah. I was in the family uh, section. So I was in a slightly different uh, vibe to everyone else. The family section were offering seats of two adults and two children for a £100, which me and my brother snapped up. And it was a really lovely experience, as you mentioned. One of my favourite things to see is at football matches, when you see the generations of a family all supporting the same team, and it's a shared love and a shared interest. And I don't have that with my dad because he just doesn't like wrestling, but he's still lovely enough to still... For example, he's here with me in, in London, previous to me going to Qatar for my new job for a bit. And he came from Smith's with a Wrestle Talk magazine like there's still like the loveliness of it and just seeing people sharing that shared experience with their sons or daughters and sometimes it's a case in my dad's situation where they're not old enough to go to these shows themselves and they have to go and they're having that shared experience and there is still that entertainment vibe to it especially in the main event there was some huge pops of laughter that it was almost like our little section was part of a theater watching a like um, a slapstick comedy, black and white film from back in the day where we're all laughing at the right time. And it was a real shared experience. And yeah, there was just a real jubilant joy about the whole day. It was a real celebration of pro wrestling. And yeah, I've really enjoyed it. There's
2: nothing more magical than watching kids being really into wrestling because that's when we all started watching. We remember that magic. And as you grow a little bit older, a little bit more cynical, learn a little bit more about what goes on outside the business, perhaps. We lose a little bit of that innocence. So to see kids like really get into wrestling is is amazing. I can't get my daughter, my three-year-old, to watch wrestling at all. But every time I'm watching it, the one person she's interested in is Orange Cassidy. Like every time I got wrestling on, she'll just come along and go, Is Orange Cassidy on this one? Is Orange Cassidy on this one? And whenever he's on, she will watch it. And just seeing it through her eyes, as I'm sure Ross saw through the eyes of his nephews, is just it's just a completely different
0: experience. But... For her sake, I'm glad that she didn't watch the stadium stampede then <laughs> yeah
2: well i i promised her i'd get a picture of orange cassidy and i didn't get a chance and then he was bleeding i was like yeah this isn't really gonna work
1: <laughs> <laughs> mate just like just in passing orange cassidy what an absolute geezer like just i cannot believe like how huge he is in wrestling now and just still exponentially growing in popularity and just never misses right he's just everything he does is just so good Let's talk about the uh, Stadium Stampede quickly. I got a um, – I was funny. Like I got a text message uh, yesterday from a friend of mine, uh, D, Daria D Collette, friend of the Wrestling Should Be Fun group, and she's not a big wrestling fan, but her fiancé likes a bit of wrestling. And um, she said, oh, I'm walking back to the AEW show you were at, and I've just seen someone get skewered in the head. Um, and she said, is this normal? What the fuck is this, basically? And I was, you know, like bit of a deathmatch fan myself I said oh look that's not always the case in uh, this type of wrestling but yeah you know like every now and then you get a bit of deathmatch violence and she was just blown away by that type of and I will call it athleticism like that type of storytelling with violence so for someone to go out of their way to message me that's not a big wrestling fan and be like holy shit this is impressive I thought that was interesting as a deathmatch fan myself, and I know that I'm talking to two proper ECW OGs here and Ross and Schaff, I absolutely couldn't believe that the finish was the type A deathmatch finish. Just, I went mad. And um, because we're not allowed to get that type of thing in London normally. London, there's no deathmatch federations. We don't get big deathmatches. Uh, well, definitely not. We're meant to anyway. And to have. All of those, you know, those tricks and those bits and the gimmicks, as Big Joe would call them, I absolutely loved that. So that was that was a special moment for me. I don't know, like, for, you know, two ECW fans, but guys that aren't as big into the deathmatch. like, what did you think about the violence in the stadium stampede? Like, were you impressed by it? You know, were you not that happy with it? Like Ross, what did you think of the stadium stampede?
0: I personally loved it, which is odd, because I know that when we had the, deathmatch special I was someone that was probably siding on the a little bit too much for me but what happened in that match in particular wasn't the weed whacker side of deathmatch wrestling yeah it definitely strayed the line but I feel that it was where it was the perfect bullseye for deathmatch wrestling a major promotion in a stadium the size of Wembley and as you say the skewer spot was the one that got people in the family stands. Which I was a little bit surprised at to be kind of just kind of, oh my God, what is happening? That kind of gasp when it happened, um, when the skewers fell and and the six or seven were left in his head, followed by the forking of (laughs) um, Orange Cassidy. So yeah, I personally loved it. I was a little bit worried that I was going to be following the action by screen, but I felt that it was okay um for that match personally i felt that they did a really good job of capturing everything even though we didn't quite get the close-up of session off in the bar that we were hoping for
1: yeah chef anything to add on
2: the stampede yeah i think obviously being quite close to the ring there was a lot that i couldn't see we didn't really see a lot of eddie in the match which i, I would have liked to have seen more because that guy is so massively over it. it's incredible one thing I'll say is that there are certain things you don't necessarily pick up on TV, and Mox is an absolute pro. Like he's he was going around literally trying to kill everyone, but there were just like he walked past like a little kid and he just like ruffled his hair, you know, like little things he just threw in for the fans without breaking character or breaking the suspension of disbelief. So I think he gave Chucky T a, a spot on some Lego right in front of us, and after he'd done it, like some of the guys in front of me were like, "Oh, Mox." Mox was on the floor and he's like, oh, Mox, throw some Lego. And he's grabbed a handful of Lego and just threw it into the crowd. So just like these nice little moments that didn't affect the immersion at all were just really nice add-ons. The match itself was obviously great from the parts that I could see. Um, I think it's interesting at this point to say that me and Ross, we went to a show in 2013 in Bristol in a church. And it's it's the least attended show I've ever been to. I think there were 30 people there. There was like no ring crew. There was a stack of chairs we had to literally go and get a chair each and form our own rows around this ring in this church. And on that show was Chucky T and Adam Cole. And to go from watching them 10 years ago in front of 30 people with no ring crew to watching them in front of 81,000 was, you know, a real feel good moment for me.
1: Yeah, Big shout out to Chucky T who hit his finish in the stadium stampede as well. Like That's still one of the most impressive wrestling moves. I'm going to mess up the name here now. I think it's called The Awful Waffle.
2: Yeah, Um, I hope so because that's what I was screaming when he hit it. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Um, And then, of course, I was sitting next to Brummett and then obviously that led to our 114th conversation of the day about how Super Dragon changed wrestling. Yeah. but Eddie, it, yeah, it's great to see Chucky T hit the awful waffle. Still, one of the sickest moves in wrestling. I wouldn't want to be taking that, even by Gene Money, who is strong. <laughs> so, Tom,
2: obviously as a big uh, Ring of Honor guy, how did you feel about yeah. Punk and Joe kicking the show off?
1: Absolutely loved it, mate. So um, that's you know next on my list of things to chat about. Like I, for me, that was the highlight of my weekend. Really, I was surprised that it went on first. I thought it might have been you know like semi main, but then. I just, like, talking about the ordering of matches, like, I think it worked out perfectly because that meant then that, like, House of Black got to come out in the dark. So I do understand why, like, Punk and then Omega were sort of on, like, first and second. And that's not to diminish anybody else in those matches because I love Samoa Joe as much as Sam Punk and Kenny Omega. So the match itself, everything stood out. I just I felt like they were actually doing a little bit of an homage to the Ring of Honor stories at times. Like, I could see Samoa Joe, he actually really tried to get the fans to sing Ole Ole when he did the Ole Ole kick on the outside. I never saw him do that in WWE. I saw him do the kick, but I never saw him try to get the fans to sing. I noticed, like, just a, like a couple other little wrinkles that went back to their 60-minute draws in Ring of Honor. And then I think that the story of the match, of course, then was, um, and I sometimes get this wrong, but I felt the story of the match was, well, we've had two one-hour draws in Ring of Honor. Samoa Joe has one definitive victory over CM Punk in Ring of Honor at All-Star Straight Against a Two. And then there was uh, the collision match where CM Punk wins with a roll-up. So the idea is, well, Punk, you've not beaten me properly. <laughs> like, you, you've you drawn me twice. I destroyed you once and you rolled me up once. I don't think you can beat me and I am your bogey opponent. And then of course, Sam Punk, he beat Samoa Joe in the number one, most like definitive way you could get with the Pepsi plunge. And my moment of the weekend, and I know James Harris, our good mate, who's often on the show, it was his moment of the weekend as well, he told me, somehow in a sea of 80,000 people, Harris was about two blocks away from where I was sitting, and I hadn't seen him in the whole show up to that point, and somehow I just picked him out, we were both standing up, our eyes met, even though we were a long way away, there was an ocean of humanity between us. We connected when CM Punk hit the Pepsi plunge. And um, I described it as I did the Stuart Broad celebration, you know, hand over the mouth. I couldn't believe it. And we actually, we did this thing where we like pretended to hug, like in the air. We both hugged the air like we were hugging each other. And it was just, that was kind of my, you know, biggest moment of the weekend. And as I've said, um, that was the time when I, you know, I did shed a tear. Just like you said, Shafi, like there was something about the weekend that unlocked that emotion in me. Well, for me, to be able to be there for uh, CM Punk and Samoa Joe in front of 80,000, it was like, I think we've used this analogy so many times, but it was like when a band that you have never, you know, no one's ever heard of, all of a sudden has a number one hit. And for me, that was like, these are my guys and that's their number one hit. And maybe CM Punk's not a good guy. I don't know. Like, I don't care. I don't care about Phil Brooks. I care about the character of CM Punk and I've always been invested in him and I will always love that character in the same way. I don't know if Big Joe is um, a good guy or not, but this character Samoa Joe, I love him and I always will. And that was a really important moment to me and I cried my fucking eyes out.
2: And that- what a match! What a match! Like it, yeah. I think there was some misgivings about whether this match should be on the card. I know that um, obviously a lot of people are anti-Punk at the moment, perhaps not completely unfounded. But I was really excited for it. Like me and Ross have known each other for twenty-five years. We went to a, a WWE Butlin show in two thousand and six. Bought a wrestling magazine on the way there, and it came with a free DVD, and it had. Punk versus Joe 2 on it and we watched that there that's a you know so 17 17 years later to watch you know Punk and Joe again when they've both had long absences from wrestling and to come back and put on something that wasn't a million miles away from their best you know and it it wasn't just like a nostalgia spot or they put on a really good match and I think surprised a lot of people and the spot through the announce table is something I've never seen before that was great so yeah it was awesome and Joe Obviously, I don't know what it was like in your section. Joe was hugely over. Yeah. Like, he was one of the most over guys on the whole card.
1: Yeah. It's funny, isn't it? Like, and you talk about like Punk's reaction and stuff and how it reflects on the people that he wrestles. Like, Joe was so over. Like, it's funny because you can tell there were people there like me that were booing CM Punk for the show. Like we, a lot of us still really wanted to cheer Punk and we might've been inside, but we knew that it was the right thing to do to completely get behind Joe. So I felt like a lot of people around me were like that. It was almost like nudge and a wink. Yeah, we love you, Punk, but boo, one of those ones, you know. But um, but I don't yeah, even think that
2: all of the love for Joe was anti-Punk sentiment, you oh, know, no. uh, like people love Joe. Obviously he wrestled in TNA, which was the most watched wrestling program in this country at the time. You know, so I think Joe on his own merits and obviously had his NXT run. Um, yeah. People unhappy with him getting sidelined and being made a commentator in WWE. So like he is, he was getting his flowers for his own reasons as much as, you know,
0: Punk was getting a, a solid heel reaction, shall we say.
1: I completely agree. I 100% could not agree more.
0: Just to add on to that, the TNA stuff definitely rings true because I don't know if it was just in my section or if it was the whole crowd and you guys heard it as well. But when Sting and Christian first have the first face off, there was a big TNA chant. Yeah. Um, and also, of course, Joe main evented NXT TakeOver here as well. Yeah.
1: Yeah. There was also like almost this sentiment about Joe where. People, I think, have that vision of him in the poncho in the stadium as a commentator, like, with almost, like, just the scowl on his face. And I think Samoa Joe was actually, like, a really underrated and excellent commentator, but that's not what we want his stadium moment to be. We want his stadium moment to be 80,000 people chanting Joe and him doing the chaffee Court at the commentary table spot, the powerbomb through the, you know, the panel of wood on the commentary table. So, yeah, I hope, you know what, like I hope that those two went to go backstage and toast a Pepsi or a beer, you know, about that match and reflect on their careers together because just like a a lot of other guys that have, have, you know, they go through their careers together, Kevin C and El Generico, that type of thing, well, CM Punk and Samoa Joe, they're always going to be linked in a lot of wrestling fans' minds, including mine,
0: and that was special to be able to be there for that. I just quickly um, say um, after that match in my brain, I didn't say it out loud, but I was like, I fear a little bit that that might be my favorite match on the card. And then literally every match afterwards, I was like, that might be my favorite match on the card. <laughs>
1: yeah. I kept saying to Brumet, like in row who I was with and Oscar, I was like, hang on. There's still this match. You know, like, <laughs> like even after Joe versus part, I had the same thing. I was like, Oh man, that like I cried and I, I loved it. Goosebumps. And I was like, oh, I, I'm just kind of bummed it was on first at the start, and then Kenny Omega comes out. And I was yeah. like, oh, wait, no, this is sick. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so outside of the main event, what other matches would you like to uh, talk about? What really stood out for you? When did you have your Joe vs. Punk moment, for lack of a better term?
2: I, I don't have um, a lot to say about the match itself, but you just mentioned Omega. And Omega, like, was way more over than everyone else in that match. Like, everyone loved Omega. I didn't even really hear anything for Hangman, but everyone loved Omega, and that was the match they were against the Golden Elite, right?
1: Bullet Club Gold.
2: Yes, sorry, yes, yeah, Bullet. Yeah, yeah. I, I knew there was some gold in there somewhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. So the um, the, gold, the Golden Elite is what Omega's yes. team, yes, yeah, of course. Yes, yeah. of course, yes.
2: Yeah, the only thing I would say about that match is Juice Robin, like just sh- the obvious people. There are stars in that match. What I would say is I don't know if it comes across on TV, but Juice Robinson is fantastic. He's so good. Like, he was talking the whole match with his squeaky, raspy little voice. He was so funny, just cracking people up, like, the whole time, like, they're cheating! You're not allowed to cheat! And, like, all this stuff. (laughs) And Austin Gunn was fantastic at working the crowd as well. So two guys that you wouldn't necessarily think of immediately, you know, with the lineup for that match, but they both added a lot to it from a a fan perspective.
1: I, I really think, like, in passing, what AEW have done with, like, the Bullet Club, like, coming back together with Jay White. Like, when it first happened, like, everyone was like, oh, this feels like a bit of a waste to, you know, the guy that I saw have match of the year last year against Ibushi in the Tokyo Dome. But then now I realise, like, it's almost like keeping him hot and building him up, and then at some point he is going to be the singles guy, and we are going to get Jay White versus Omega and Jay White versus punk or whatever it might be on the big stage jay white versus mjf so um i think that that the aw have done really well to kind of keep him just warm but on the back burner for the singles run in a little while
0: there's been many moments where we're saying how amazing it was to see x do this x do that well i'm sure that we're going to mention it more with osprey beating jericho at wembley etc cetera, etc cetera. but a little inkling to this match that i find really interesting is the push that they're giving to Kashta. And putting Don Callis with him is perfect. It adds that heat to him, that molten heat that Don Callis has, unless he's with Osprey (laughs) in Wembley Stadium. (laughs) And now forever, Tekeshta can say that he was the man that pinned Kenny Omega at Wembley Stadium in the first time ever that AEW did a show there. And that's going to be on his resume forever. And that's an inkling that they can use with that character from this point on. And great call from TK there.
1: So then we've spoken about Stadium Stampede. We went through from there. Uh, The tag match was next, was it? It's funny that we haven't – we've got, you know, what, an hour and a bit into this podcast and we haven't spoken about FTR versus the Bucks in an absolute
0: clinic. Just exactly what you'd expect, right? Near (laughs) falls. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember watching this match and feeling a little bit burnt out by the, by the wrestling that had already happened. And they wrestled kind of an anti-Young Bucks match at the start. Like, it wasn't explosive straight from the start. It was more of an FTR match. And I felt a bit kind of, not distracted, but a bit maybe not invested in the first five minutes of the match. But boy, oh boy, oh boy, did they bring me back in. That match was fantastic. Again, was one of those matches that like I said after it, I don't think that there'll be a match better than it on the cards. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Well, it, but it's all personal taste, isn't it? Like, I, I 100% would listen to any arguments about that being the best match on the card. I've got no beef with that. Like, if that's the one that someone enjoyed the most, like, I, geez, I loved it myself. Yeah, and like you said, Ross, the, the finishing sequences were just... Incredible, weren't they? Just just madness. I'd have to watch it back on TV to get a vibe about where it stands in like compared to their previous matches or compared to the Bucks and Lucha Brothers or FTR and the Briscoes. But being there with that many people, it felt pretty good. Um, yeah,
0: and there were so many callbacks, like the Cash Wheeler four fifty miss off the first was the finish to the first match in AW. Obviously it wasn't the finish here, but it was a nice little callback. They obviously were trading special moves that they were doing on each other there were so many like cool little inklings to the past as well obviously with young bucks choosing to do some brain busters moves for example which is something that normally ftr would do and also did in the match as well so yeah there was great storytelling great athleticism and the finishing sequence i think i bit on about six near pinfalls yeah
1: Chef, something to add on the tag match i I think this is
2: probably for me the match which was hurt the most by card placement because it was brilliant but like ross said i was I was already feeling quite burnt out by this point. So it took a little bit more to get into than it should have. And that's not because of the match, just because of the placement on the card. What was the sort of crowd split for you guys between FTR and Bucks? Like where I was, it was probably, I'd say 70% FTR, which I was a little surprised about.
0: Same for me.
1: I don't know if it was just because I was with like Brummett and Roe and stuff, but at the start it felt like there was quite a lot of like sort of side mouth about, you know, guns and like not uh, the guns, I mean like actual cash wheeler and guns and stuff. And there was a bit of that stuff. And maybe a couple of people were, there was like a bit of stuff about um, are you Dawson, are you Dash and stuff like that. Um, But then I would say by the end of the match, the pop that FTR got for winning it was very clear that everyone was behind them by the, by the latter stages, I think. Yeah. And that's nothing against the Young Bucks, is it? That's just because it's the Young Bucks and we know that they're going to be back next week and, you know, just knock out another five star. Like, you know, we, we've just become accustomed to it over the last 20 years. Sometimes they uh, suffer by how good they are, right?
2: Yeah, and I was just a little bit surprised because I thought with a very anti-punk, very pro-Kenny crowd that we would probably get a pro-Bucks crowd. And for me, at least, that isn't what I experienced. But it was certainly favouring FTR.
1: I wonder if, again, it's like Ross said, I wonder if I probably haven't realised just how popular NXT was in the UK, maybe. It's got to be... As well, as well, obviously, they're awesome. It's not just because of that, but like I think a lot of people remember like how amazing they were in NXT, and NXT did come here and run the, the stadium show, um, the same one that Ross mentioned that Joe was in the main event of. Well, FTR were on that one with uh, Jordan and Gable were also in that match. So, yeah, pretty great stuff.
0: Just before we move on to the next match, Dom, just a little sure. bit of conjecture for me. This might be absolute nonsense, but I get the impression that if this was another Booker, they may well have punished FTR and have them lose the title, but I love the fact that I'm assuming that the wrestlers themselves obviously are EVP, so they've got a bit of leeway here. But they are like, for this story to work later down the line, the Bucks need to lose this match. Okay, fine, punish them later, take the titles off them later. But for this story to work later down the line, this is what has to happen, and I'm pleased that it did.
2: Yeah 100% and to be honest that's actually something that I've really enjoyed about AEW because when you have watched WWE for so long you're conditioned to think of things in certain ways and they can almost become predictable I would have put money on the Bucks winning here and them not winning it's just a really just one of those things that AEW does to subvert your expectations
1: yeah I completely agree i unpredictability is a number one of the most important part of wrestling right so yeah that was great You know what I wanted to do? Like, I just wanted to mention, like, outside of matches, because there's a few matches coming up where this is the case. I really, really, really love the use of licensed music in AEW. I thought Soraya coming out to Queen was cool. I don't think it got quite the reaction that it should have, because it's really hard to clap in time with 80,000 people. I really enjoyed Sting, Seek and Destroy, because I loved WCW back in the day. Um, That was my favourite entrance song when I was in high school, you know. RVD with Pantera, Orange Cassidy with, you know, Jefferson. It cannot be overstated how much licensed music can add to a show, I think. And that takes us into Jericho and Judas. The next few matches, just unbelievable stuff as far as big special entrances. Lads, Sting, special, right? Pretty amazing to be there uh, with Sting and Derby. I just want to give a little shout out to Swerve. I think he might be the most underrated wrestler in the world at this point. I think you guys, as uh, TNA guys at the time, like, was this really a special moment for you to be there for Sting? Shafi, I'd imagine that you must have had some pretty strong feelings to be there for for the entrance and for that match with Sting.
2: Yeah, so it was probably more special for WCW. I'm more uh, au fait with WCW Sting. Like, I think, you know, TNA had started to lose its way a little bit when Sting came in. Not because of him, he was brilliant, but you know, for other reasons going on. So yeah, it was great to be there to see him and who knows if he'll be there next year. I would say probably not, but who knows. So yeah, that was great. Uh, in terms of the music, I think the problem is it was a throwback to so long ago that probably 75% of the stadium didn't make that connection. So sort of like when Punk used his ROH music in the, I think it was a dog collar match. Yeah, Like a lot of the people didn't twig on. Like it was really cool, but Tony probably could have saved himself money by using the normal Sting music. But yeah, it the match itself was great, as you say, Swerve, one of the most underrated guys out there. I was never sold on him in NXT from the bits I saw. When he first came in, the stuff he did with Keith Lee was fine. You know, it was enjoyable for what it was. But since that breakup, like he's really gone to another level. I actually really enjoyed his entrance. I think when you're in a stadium for a a live performance, you don't necessarily notice the errors that you might in the way it was on TV. So apparently the guy doing his entrance was slightly out, but I couldn't tell that at all. Like, I thought his entrance was amazing. Uh, similarly with Jericho, like, I've watched it back and it was so much better in the stadium. Not that it was bad on TV, but just being there and it's just a completely different vibe. So yeah, that match was was great. And, and Swerve is, is someone that's become a star and you're more than happy to throw him in with someone like Sting and know that they'll all come out of it looking
1: amazing. Yeah. My big memories of the Sting and Derby match. Firstly, like Derby, mate, like those bumps that you are taking off that coffin drop, man. It's like fair play, but bloody hell, it is brutal. And then um, Sting, with the when the table didn't break and he goes back up and dropped the big leg off the apron. I love that.
0: Did you notice on that one that he did it with Strickland not even looking? So yeah, Strickland had no idea that was even happening. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that's what's so cool, right? Like Sting was like, fuck it, I'm going through. If it doesn't break the first time, you know, on the splash or whatever it was, I'm dropping the leg. And they just, it was almost, but it wasn't even a leg. It was just like a bomb dive. It could have killed Swerve.
0: (laughs) Yeah, my two little quick comments on this match were, number one, Rado was on the pre-show and we didn't get um, his song, Like a Prayer, but we did get Seek and Destroy by Metallica. And Metallica are well known for charging a lot of money for their songs. So imagine how much money Madge is, is charging for Like a Prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Secondly, I just absolutely love the fact that we saw Sting wrestle at 64 years old to a standard that we saw him at and at Wembley Stadium. I went to a WW Nitro house show in 2000, I think, in the what is now the Millennium Dome, I guess, which was the Docklands Arena at the time. And... He was on the poster and he was even on the ticket and he didn't wrestle. And along with about 400 other people that were supposed to be on that card that didn't. And we ended up with the likes of Jeff Jarrett and Booker T, which was fun, but it wasn't as advertised. So to see him at 64 years old, having the time of his life in a really good match that was invested in. I absolutely love that for him, Um, especially after how his WWE ran, ended up AEW. I know TK Khan has said some pretty outlandish statements recently saying that it's the best run of his career, which may be a little bit of a stretch. And <laughs> that's the promoter being the promoter. I understand that. Um, but we all know that it's obviously a very different run to his WWE run. And lastly, just I felt that there was a an air of unpredictability about this match that was added to by the fact that they added in Christian. Obviously, AR Fox, I'm assuming, was a green card issue. That's a guess for me. I'm not entirely sure. I'm not across the wrestling news stuff like I used to be because I try and stay a bit spoiler-free with my wrestling now. But adding Christian was a bit of a genius there because with Edge's situation happening, there was that air of maybe, just maybe, we get Alter Bridge.
1: Oh, I can't let this go any further without just saying as well that, like, Christian is also just really good. Like... <laughs> The match that he had with Derby the other day, whether well, I don't know, I think it was on Collision, was it? The main event of Collision? Well, I just thought it was Christian's best match in years. Talking about underrated wrestlers, you won't get much further than him. At whatever age he might be, I think he's as good as he's ever been. Like, I, I, really, I, I do genuinely think that. I'm not just being nice because it's wrestling should be fun. I think Christian's been incredible.
2: Yeah, definitely. I mentioned the old guy and his adult son behind me from Minnesota. They came in uh, best friend tracksuits, matching tracksuits which was great. And then during this match, they both took off their tracksuit tops and they were both wearing sleeveless turtlenecks. It was <laughs> fantastic.
0: Amazing. That is cool, yeah. That's cool. Can I just quickly say, I know that some people have differing opinions on this, but I genuinely felt that the Soraya winning the title moment was a feel-good moment and something that British wrestling doesn't get much chance to kind of pat itself on the back because of situations beyond fans' control. And 80,000 people in Wembley Stadium celebrating a British wrestler winning a title. I just felt that moment was too good to to miss. I actually think that Shida winning could have worked because the story here coming out of this is Storm versus Soraya. That doesn't necessarily need the title. So I do understand people, specifically Shida fans, being a bit peeved. But I feel like wrestling, whilst... It's not all about moments. Moments are important and that to me was a great moment for British wrestling.
1: Perfectly said, Ross. Mm -hmm. I completely agree.
2: And the only thing that I would add to the women's match is that on a card where Jack Perry went through a a windscreen that was real glass, Crimea River, we had someone taping glass to their hands, we had... Barbed wire bumps on Lego and all sorts. The bump that Tony Storm took whilst in Saree's submission with the uh the stomp from Britt Baker up close was the most brutal thing I saw in this card. It looked horrendous. Um, yeah. And also props
0: say- to Tony Storm for her new character work. I think it's fantastic. Her interest was great as
2: well,
1: by the way. Sorry, chef. Yeah.
0: And
2: as you said about uh, Saree, I think one thing that's become apparent maybe it wasn't intended but as I've looked through the card is that this pay-per-view in a lot of ways was really a story of redemption Like the whole thing was a a story of redemption so you had Joe as we said like his stadium moment was in a poncho and he's come back to wrestle on the biggest card ever Punk had that seven-year hiatus and wrestled on the biggest show ever Sting before you even mentioned it I was thinking about that WCW tour and he's obviously uh, not a great uh, run in WWE and his carmen wrestled on this card. Soraya had to retire and has come out and has been on this card. Adam Cole, you know, thought he was going to have to retire potentially and has main evented this card. So, yeah, there was a massive overarching theme of redemption for this pay-per-view that was amazing.
1: Yep, I think I think Cash Will is on there as well. But, yeah, that, that, there's a lot. Yeah, I, that's awesome. That's good analysis, really. That's why we pay the big bucks, Sultan. So talking about British wrestlers, British moments. We've, I, uh, you know, I've already done my little bit about Osprey and watch him grow. And you know, you guys, like you said, you saw him even before I did. Uh, like some people would be here right now and they'd say, "Oh, they totally proved me wrong. I didn't think it was going to be any good, and they proved, mate." If you didn't think it was going to be good, if you were one of those people that was on the internet saying, "Oh, this is going to ruin the card," why would you have Osprey versus Jericho? It's wrestling; should be fun. I don't care, mate. Get in the bin. <laughs> If you were saying that before the show, get in the bin because it was always going to be awesome. It's Chris fucking Jericho, man. Like, like it's just going to be good, and it was. I'm not going to analyse the match because, you know, I was drinking pints and having a great time, but I remember the feeling it gave me, and it was special, and it was always going to be that special. You don't need a double rotation moonsault for a match to be five stars. There's more important things. And that's my little bit about that Osprey and Jericho. Um, lads, you might like to break down the match a little bit more than I did. Shaf, what were your thoughts there?
2: Sorry, it's uh, a bit muffled because I'm talking from in the bin. <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest. I, you know, I don't go on the internet and slag things off because that's not my style. But I had reservations about this match. It was a bit thrown together. I would have loved to, you know. Obviously, look, everyone wanted to see Osprey Omega. You know, but it makes more sense that that's going to happen in New Japan for the rubber match. It makes perfect sense. So I did kind of want, you know, just an Osprey showcase. I wasn't hugely sold on this match, but between Osprey's promo on Dynamite about how much this match means to him and Jericho talking about how he messaged him five years ago to tone it down so he doesn't end up in a wheelchair. And then obviously the angle the night before at Rev Pro with Jericho attacking Osprey after another heartfelt speech with that really was heartfelt. It wasn't in character Uh, You know, he wasn't shouting out brav every two seconds. I just did a complete 180, you know, in the week before this card and was so excited for this. And I think it's amazing that Jericho's going out there at the age he is and and putting on a match like that. Because with Jericho, I find sometimes he can be a little bit hit or miss at this stage, which is to be expected. Uh, I've probably been more outspoken than most about a lot of his angles not really going anywhere. But this was brilliant. Obviously, it started with the fantastic entrance for Judas, which was just like a... I can't even explain it. It's like something I will never forget. It was such a good experience. Again, I had misgivings about Jericho singing live because, you know, it's probably not the greatest singer of all time. But, like, they smashed it. Jericho, like, I'm sorry. Christopher Irving, I apologise. I was wrong.
1: (laughs) Thanks, Chef. I'm so glad that that was your take. That's brilliant. Ross...
0: Yeah, for me, this match was just, a, as you said, a, a like, showcase for Osprey. I saw that he had um, stitched into his jacket all the promotions that he wrestled for in Britain, which was a nice little touch. Will is capable of being quite sentimental and lovely. He's also quite capable of being <laughs> the opposite of that. And sometimes it's quite hard to understand the person that is Will Ospreay, but the wrestler that is Will Osprey unbelievable and he deserves to be on a stage as big as Wembley Stadium and I'm glad that he got to have the match against Chris Jericho. I must admit I was a bit confused about Will Ospreay being so babyface in this match when he's got Don Callis in his corner. That was quite confusing. The build up to this match was a little bit confusing and it was a little bit front together as Shafi said but I kind of tried to just take myself out of that and just be like let's just enjoy a Will Ospreay match at Wembley Stadium, which is exactly what I did. And the fact that he got the pin over Chris Jericho surely has to be a little nod from Tony Khan saying, hey, if you sign for me full-time in six months' time, I'm going to look after you, kid.
1: Oh, well, I think I'll go a step further. Uh, we're not a big fantasy booking show here at Wrestling Should Be Fun, but I think should Will Ospreay sign with AEW in six months' time, I think in one year's time we'll be watching Will Osprey win the AEW title in Wembley Stadium. Meow. Yeah. I with uh, or without shout. Don
0: Callis in his corner? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it's more likely to be without.
2: I'd just say that as a big, big shout, but now you've said it, it actually makes perfect sense.
1: Yeah. I don't see a reason why that wouldn't happen. And the opponent is going to be the interesting one. I could, i am not gone into full booking mode, but why not? CM Punk goes complete heel, MJF stays babyface, give Punk a heel run, Will Ospreay defeats him at Wembley. That'll do me. I'll I'll take that as the main event next year. Uh, But anyway, maybe we never see CM Punk again. Who knows? That takes us into this year's main event, fellas. I know we haven't quite hit every single match, but we do have to get out of here at some point. We've spoken a lot today. The theme of this episode, I think, has been friendship through wrestling. Um, It kind of is the thing about wrestling should be fun. It could be wrestling should be friends. And that was the story of the main event, Right. Uh, wrestling friends, and I'm not saying that tongue-in-cheek or with any sort of sarcasm. I thought it was a beautiful story, and it, again, I just can't believe they pulled it off that way. A couple of questions for you. You should never ask more than one question at a time, but I'm going to. Were you expecting a turn? Are you upset that there wasn't a turn from either of the two guys? But overall, what are your thoughts about what I thought was just another, dare I say, pillar in the story of MJF being one of the all-time great wrestlers of our generation. Ross, what are you thinking? Main event, run me through it.
0: Yeah, number one question, I was expecting a turn, and I think I was expecting Strong to cost Cole the title. And number two, no, absolutely not. Because of the character work of the three of them, you've grown to love MJF and Adam Cole together, and at no point, has Roderick Strong been a redeemable character? He's whiny, he's wearing a neck brace when you know he doesn't need to wear a neck brace. It's fantastic character work. He kicked the wheel of the car and then he came out with a cast on his foot or whatever, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, this whole drama was exactly why I was not worried about this card and I was not worried about the build to All In being a throwaway because this has been AEW TV for the last two months and this has been the build to the biggest show that they've ever done and they absolutely smashed it. And the story is of friendship and the story of them putting the t-shirts on at the start in a positive way only to then use that t-shirt as a metaphor for Adam Cole proving throughout the match that he's willing to do to his friend what MJF, the devil himself, has finally found himself some kinship, and he's not willing to let that go. He's proving to us, the fans, that Adam Cole's friendship actually potentially means more to him than the AEW Championship, the one thing that he's coveted over everything else because of its money and its attraction to MJF. And Adam Cole, throughout the match, was proving that he's willing to throw away his friendship because it's only been two months. And to him from the get go, he told us, you know, MGF doesn't watch the show. He won't watch these bits, etc., etc. And then for the final little bit to be Adam Cole with that belt in his hand, similar to Bret Hart and Roddy Piper with the ring bell, to finally look at the crowd, see everyone saying, don't do it, don't do it. And to throw the belt down, beautiful goosebump moment. And yeah, it had elements of comedy, it had elements of silliness, it had a lot of elements of sports entertainment, but the storytelling was spot on and that is why I absolutely loved it. I don't care about what promotion it was, I'm not a a tribalist, it was just great wrestling and I loved it.
1: I I have to take back all the things I said about the jerk Osprey about, oh well, if you didn't think that it was going to be good ahead of time, get in the bin, well, I was a bit worried about this being the main event not because it hasn't been a great story but i just didn't know i was like well this is going to be the biggest wrestling show of all time can this
0: really deliver as a main event of such a big show absolutely i think it was a beautiful bookend if you include the zero hour with them winning the titles by ring of honor and then this main event like yeah this is built perfectly for the future of aew and once again, we talk about the redemption of Adam Cole of his injury. Again, the redemption of Adam Cole as a main event wrestler. We saw it so many times in NXT, and he's proved it now in AEW, and I'm so glad Tessie see him back.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Same question, Shaffer, whether this was deserving of its main event slot. Are you like us? Did it knock it out of the park?
2: So, I mean, Ross obviously mentioned tribalism before, and one thing that I have seen thrown up over the past couple of months is you know, what's better, uh, better than you, baby or the bloodline. And I kind of think that that's as reductive as who's better, Messi or, or Ronaldo, you know, it doesn't matter. They're both brilliant. The beauty of this storyline is there's been, even though it's been quite cheesy and winking at the camera at times, there's been so much nuance and character work in it that they built themselves to the opening match for the tag titles with a million possible different outcomes. You know, the Eva could have turned, Roddy could have got involved, one of them could have got injured, that would then affect the main event. There's so many different ways to go that it's like the only match I can really think of like that in recent memory, where they could have gone a million different ways with it and none of them would have been wrong. So like, like yourselves, I did expect a turn or some sort of interference by the kingdom or something like that. And the fact that we didn't get one, I was actually refreshingly surprised. The ending was like the bromance version of Macho and Miss Elizabeth at the end of WrestleMania seven. Like it was just a beautiful moment. I never expected to hear a let's go friendship chant in a main event of a major uh, stadium show. For me, it was the best thing on the card personally. Like as we were working through the card, it's quite different to watching things live and trying to grade them against shows that you've watched on TV. And as we got to the main event, I wasn't 100% sure. Like Everything had been good, or good to great, but I wasn't 100% sure just about how like, I would rate this card. But the main itself lifted it several levels above where it was before the main for me. You know, the match itself was perfect. So much storytelling. As I say, the ending was brilliant. I also like the nuance in, as Ross said, not using the belt. Ended up costing Adam Cole the match. And when they went for the tag belts against FTR... MGF sacrificing himself for Cole cost them the match. So friendship has both cost them titles, literally. And yet they were able to overcome that for their broship. And I just thought that was amazing, to be honest.
1: Yeah. I couldn't agree more. And it's it's the metaphor for our whole episode here about yeah. the importance of friendship in wrestling.
2: But also in the way that it's changed MJF, we've obviously seen that you know he's now reluctant to cheat, particularly against Cole. You know, he's more influenced by the crowd, so he did a dive because everyone was shouting for it, which MGF never would have done in the the last three years. He's still, as as they say, he's our scumbag. I like that in turning him face, they haven't taken away all the things that make his character interesting, which is something that typically happens in wrestling. Someone gets really hot as a hill, they strip away everything interesting about them, and then they just become a cookie-cutter babyface and wonder why they lose momentum. I like that they haven't done that. And as all time wrestling moments, as we're talking about the way people have changed, this obviously started with the 30 minute draw between MGF and Cole and Cole asking for five more minutes and MGF saying no. And the callback to that in this match is one of the greatest wrestling moments, you know, him saying no. And then five minutes isn't enough. We're going to go to a finish because this is fucking Wembley, yeah. which just like, yeah, goosebump stuff because the finish itself there are maybe other promotions that would have done the double pin and then used that to build to the maybe doing a rematch at all out, for example, and that would have gone over so bad. Like the bullshit chance had already started ringing out, and they took that again, subverting your expectations, taking this disappointment that you expect and then turning it into a huge moment with one sentence was just incredible, goosebump stuff. Yeah, uh, for me,
1: completely special. Like uh, just everything about it. Absolutely special, and I, I just—I think I said at the time, like I'm not—if I watch it back on TV, I might not have the same um, sentence, but I said to the people around me, I said, "Geez, that was just perfect, wasn't it?" And <laughs> I, I just—I felt it was. I just thought it was everything, and I didn't just mean the main event. I meant the whole show. Just I—I I just felt at the time it was just perfect.
0: I just—I loved every second of it. Also, was that um, the best ref bump ever? Off the top of my head, I'm having trouble thinking of many. Panama Sunrise on Bryce, loved it. Especially after he got in the way yet again of the face-off. <laughs> Eat ship, Bryce.
1: <laughs> I noticed Bryce was slapping a lot of hands before the main show started. Shaffy, did you see that?
2: Yeah, it's a thing that happens at all live shows, isn't it? A lot of the crew yeah. get uh, you know chants and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I can't finish this mammoth episode talking about Bryce Ramsberg fellas. Uh,
2: whilst we are on the subject of Bryce, when you say about the best uh, bumps ever his slow count is one of the funniest things I've ever seen <laughs> where he would do a count and then just like collapse for about five seconds and then do like... it was fantastic
0: stuff. Yeah. Really to um, add on to Shafi's point about not taking away all the great stuff that MGF does, even though he's a baby face now, that look he gave when he noticed that Bryce was down was absolutely on point and got tremendous belly laughs from the family section. So good.
2: As, as well as obviously the Eddie
0: spot. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Well, fellas, we've, uh, I think we've done it pretty well.
1: We've given due diligence to what is the biggest wrestling show in history. I hope it was a great success for AW. It felt like it was. It was certainly a great success for us. And a great success for friendships. So sentimental, so lame. I hate myself. But I've told the story before here on the pod. You know, nine years ago, I moved to the UK. I didn't know a single English person. I didn't know anyone here. And across this weekend, whether it was Friday at Right Cabaret, when, you know, Furious Arn ran across the road, almost getting hit by a car to give me a big bear hug, even though he wasn't in the building. Whether it was Connor Mills, uh, walking past a British Cruiserweight champion. He just happened to see me and he doesn't call me Big Dom. He calls me wrestling should be fun. That's how he shakes my <laughs> hand when he sees me. Hey, wrestling should be fun, you know, like, you know, etc. whatever, like just across the whole weekend. I, there was one point on Sunday before the show and I just looked around and I thought to myself, how have you ended up here with wrestlers knowing who you are and, 20 of your best mates in this country are through this silly, ridiculous sport that I love. And it's because it's just the best thing that God ever invented. How fucking good is wrestling lads? How good is it? Oh, that's it for me. That's my last bit. Um, we'll do the plugs and stuff. But if you guys have anything you want to say before we get out of here, the floor is yours.
2: I've just got four words. I love you, Dom.
1: Oh, mate, that's, oh, mate, I, as if I haven't cried enough this weekend. Uh, <laughs> it's all right the hill turns coming soon <laughs> we'll see if a shop mastermind in a couple of weeks ross anything else you want to just before we get out of it
0: no just uh a beautiful end to my stay in the uk for a bit and it encapsulated wrestling should be fun and i hope for the next six months that you boys can uh do your best to uh keep wrestling should be fun in my heart Yep well and as you're
2: on. as you move moving to the desert ross i think it's important that we say drink lots of water and take care of your mates
0: yes man
1: mate. <laughs> oh 100 thank you uh shout outs. Phil, I know this is long. Thank you for all you've done, mate. Outstanding. I know you enjoyed the show. Thank you so much for our guests today. Shafi, the Sultan. I'm so glad you enjoyed the shows over the weekend, as much as I did. That really melted my heart to hear the way you spoke about it. And Ross, it would be remiss without us saying properly, mate, a huge, huge, huge go well, go well in the in the desert, mate. You're going to be great, and six months is going to fly around, and we hope that we can still find some time for you to come on this little show with us. When you come back, you'll probably be running the Qatari Wrestling Should Be Fun Club or something like that. <laughs> Most important to that, thank you most of all to you, dear listener. Hit us up on social media, at WSBFUN on Twitter, slash X. Wrestling should be fun, all one word, everywhere else. Rate, review, subscribe. Most importantly, Shafi, what is it? What's the catchphrase? Hit it again.
2: Drink lots of water. Take care of your
1: mates. Yeah. Wrestling should be fun, should be fun. Wrestling should be fun.